0: Heavenly Father God, we uh, we thank you so much for uh, your goodness in our lives, God. We thank you. Um Yeah, God, just that you love us. We pray, God, that uh, your spirit would move today, God, um, and that you would, uh, yeah, do your work in our hearts, that you would change us, uh, that you would awaken us, God, that you would reveal things in our heart that need to be brought up, God, and ultimately that we'd be able to uh, love you more, follow you more, understand your love for us more, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so one of my favorite uh, aspects about working at the church is Men's breakfast, uh, men's breakfast, right? Bacon and pancakes. Um, but even above that, maybe that's why some of y'all come to men's breakfast, those of you guys who come. But, but even above that, the fellowship, being able to hang out with, with other guys are going to be starting up in the fall. Um, but what takes the cake of men's breakfast is the testimonies. So on the men's breakfast, if you've ever been there, we'll eat together, have some bacon together, have some laughs together, encourage each other, and then a a guy will come up here and share his testimony. And a testimony is just simply how God has gotten a hold of somebody's life. And so... um, I love that. That's my favorite part, it's testimony of how God has taken someone from darkness into light, raised them from new life, the situations they experienced that they'd been through. And, and testimonies come in all side, all kinds of different shapes and sizes. Right? I've heard testimonies where I was like four years old, was scared in bed, and my mom told me about Jesus, I accepted him in my heart, I've been following him since then. And then I've heard also stories, right? Um, was in prison for murder got out because I was young, God, God changed my heart in prison, took my heart of stone, gave me a heart of flesh, and now now I'm here. right? And so we hear these testimonies and there someone had told me that, like these testimonies there are like little treasures, right? little treasures of God's grace that we can take. And I love listening to them because they inspire me. I grow in my faith. It's encouraging to hear how other people, how God's getting a hold of other people, right? It's encouraging to hear, I learn stuff. I grow in wisdom, I get excited, right? And so all of that to say, are you guys ready to hear a good testimony this morning? All right, it's not mine. We're gonna hear a testimony that comes from 2,500 years ago. If you guys would, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter four, and we are going to see one of the most dramatic and here, one of the most dramatic testimonies in the whole entire Bible. We're gonna learn uh, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, right? Because we're gonna see how God humbled one of the most powerful pagan kings of all time. And we see how, we're gonna see um, how ultimately God pursues and continues to pursue and continues to chase down King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. And so here we go. It's a very unusual chapter that we're gonna be going through. The um, prideful king. He's going to be saved in a very peculiar way. Um, and this testimony is scripture, right? It's the only chapter in the Bible that's written by a pagan king. But we're going to see how God uses it. It's it's in scripture. It's God breathed. It's it's written 2,500 years ago. A testimony, a story from then. But you're going to see how relevant and how applicable it is for our day, today. And that's my hope and that's my prayer as we get into things here. So. Also, you guys, Nebuchadnezzar, he probably would have, if he had a high school yearbook, if they had him back then, he would have been most likely to never he saved, most likely to never, voted most likely to never bow the knee to God. And so we're going to see how God ultimately, we're going to see this story, how God ultimately gets a hold of him. And so we're going to divide this chapter into three sections. The first one for you note takers is a dream revealed from one to verses one through verse 18. And we're going to see his testimony is centered around a dream that God had given him. And part two, we're going to see the dream explained, 19 through 27. And then three, the dream fulfilled, 28 through verse 37. That's the end of the chapter. And yes, we are gonna make it through the entire chapter. So buckle your seatbelts, get ready. Hopefully you get another cup of coffee, wake yourself. Sometimes I do that, I'm a wrestling coach. I'm like, sometimes you just gotta smack yourself and get yourself ready to go. Um, I was at a camp a couple of months ago with uh, some kids and I was telling that there was these, these kids getting ready for practice and we had a hard practice. I was like, you guys gotta get ready. You don't look ready. So I was like, I made the mistake of saying, turn to your partner and just do a nice, light, gentle slap. And then one of the kids reared back and (laughs) smacked himself. Don't do that. Don't do that. But get ready. We're going to go. We're going to go through this whole chapter. So here we go. A dream revealed. Verse one. Here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and the peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. So here we see it's a letter. A letter's going out. King Nebuchadnezzar, I like how they did things back in the day. They put their name in the the beginning of the salutation. They didn't put it at the end, right? So we know exactly who's writing this letter. King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the the ruler of Babylon, one of the most um, powerful kings that has really ever lived, ever walked this earth. It says, to the nations and peoples of every language who live on the earth, may you prosper greatly. Other translation says, may peace abound to you. And he says this, it is my pleasure to tell you about the most miraculous signs and wonders the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And I'm still waiting to see this from some of our our world leaders today. Wouldn't that be awesome, right? You're changing through the news, flip on Fox, switches over to CNN, and you just see this, right? Some world leader that's saying, let me tell you about what the most high God has done for me, right? His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion goes forever. That is very much lost in the leadership of our world. But nonetheless, it's the truth. And this king, this leader, got it. He gets it. Um, but he hadn't always been so. Like I said, he was an oppressive leader, right? He conquered... Egypt. He conquered the Assyrian army. He conquered Judah, right? He conquered all of, um, co- conquered all of these places. Um, but we see here something that I think is neat. He says that uh, may you prosper greatly. Something has had to have happened. If you would have known Nebuchadnezzar, you're like, those words coming out of his mouth, this is crazy. He wants peace for somebody else. He was spending his whole life taking other people's peace so that he would have peace, so that he would have a kingdom. And so something has obviously happened in his heart. And so we see here that he wants this to go viral, all the nations, all the peoples. He wants everyone to know this good news. He wants everyone to know this story of God's mighty work in his life. And so I'm excited to get into it with you guys. But first, so we're gonna see the testimony. Verse four is where it starts, right? This is kind of the the last straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. The last major event that happened to him where he eventually bowed the knee to God. But God had really been persistently and patiently pursuing King Nebuchadnezzar for probably 40 years. All right, so if we hit the rewind button, we go back. Whoop, to Daniel chapter one, we see King Nebuchadnezzar. He's there, he's conquering the world, going through, conquering, conquering. And we see though in verse two of chapter one that it was the Lord that had been delivering the armies the kingdoms into King Nebuchadnezzar's hands. It was the Lord who had done this. The Lord had been giving him these things. And next we see, this is where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come into, as we know them, come into play, right? He goes, they conquered Judah, they're led captive, right? And so they're getting put into a new culture. They're getting like Babylonianized re-education system, right? So that they know all things uh, Babylonian and God gives them supernatural These three guys, supernatural wisdom, supernatural uh, intelligence, looks better, they're healthier. And they brought before the king, and King Nebuchadnezzar himself, he noticed this. He said, these guys are 10 times more wise, 10 times more smart, 10 times better looking and healthy, right? And so the wheels had to have turned because these guys also lived for God. They stand bold for God. And so then we see in chapter two, God continues to shake things up. God gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream, his first dream. All right, he brings in, he was terrified by this dream and he brings in all of his, his counsel, the, ma, the magicians and the soothsayers and the diviners. I call them the occultic counsel, right? He brings all of these guys in and he says, tell me my, my dream. And they say, well, tell us your dream or give me the interpretation for the dream is what King Nebuchadnezzar says. And they said, well, tell us our dream and we'll, we'll let you know what the interpretation is. And they said, and he, he tells them, no, you, I want you to tell me my dream and tell me the interpretation. And they say, oh no, like nobody on earth could do this, right? There's not a man on earth that can do this. And they were right. But there's a God from heaven that reveals these things. And that's what Daniel, Daniel knew that. And this dream was revealed to Daniel. Not only was the dream revealed to Daniel, but the interpretation of the dream was revealed to Daniel. And Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar and he tells him his dream. He says, this was your dream. He's like, there's a statue, gold head, You're the gold head. It signifies kingdom, a world kingdom, world powers. You're that kingdom. Then you have uh, the silver breast play with the arms, a silver chest with the arms. And then you have bronze thighs, belly and thighs, and then uh, feet of iron, right? And these are all, he tells them, these are all successful, successive kingdoms, right? Your kingdom will end and then there'll be another kingdom. And that kingdom will end and there'll be another kingdom. And that kingdom will end and there'll be another kingdom. But then in the dream, a huge rock, not made with human hands comes and wipes out the statue, right? And then a huge mountain. Comes from that, signifying that ultimately God is going to set up a kingdom that's going to take out the world kingdom, the kingdom of man, and He's going to set up a kingdom that's going to endure forever. And He reveals that to him. And remember what King Nebuchadnezzar's response was, right? No one can reveal mysteries except this God. Praise be to the God of Daniel, right? Praise be to Him. And then oh, we think maybe He's learned His lesson. God's trying to get a hold of Him. That's where the story could have started, could have humbled Himself there. But no, Chapter Three builds a ninety-foot statue head to toe, all gold, saying this, saying, no, my kingdom's gonna last forever. The Babylonian empire is gonna last forever, right? I don't know what you're talking about, this guy, he forgot about the God of, of Daniel, but no, my kingdom's gonna last forever. And if you don't bow down and worship that, you're dead. We're gonna throw you in the furnace, right? And so we remember the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not having it. They're not gonna bow the knee, right, to this lie, to this, to this idolatry and We see that uh, they weren't gonna do it. Nebuchadnezzar gets mad, throws them in the fire, but we see God, right? God again, and Nebuchadnezzar witnesses this with his own eyes, sees God deliver them. Jesus in the fire with them, delivers them out. And he says, there's no God that can deliver like this, right? So we see this up and down kind of, God getting a hold of him, God pursuing him. So many different places where his testimony could have started, right? God had been gracious to him. God had been patient to him. But verse four, we're gonna see how um, ultimately God finally pursues the hound of heaven, ultimately takes down King Nebuchadnezzar. Starting in verse four, says this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. (laughs) I want you guys to see his palace real quick. His kingdom, this is where he was. On the top of that, he's hanging, relaxing. He's saying he's content and prosperous. There's no threat, there's no armies to be fought. There's no threat to the throne, right? The walls are up, everything's peace. I just imagine him, right? People feeding him grapes and the, the pond fronds, right? He's like just chilling out, right? Just relaxing. He says like, everything's good. But I, th- I think this, isn't it amazing that, that Nebuchadnezzar who never met, never truly met the God of all peace, He has peace in this world. But it's important for us to know that it's a false peace. It's not a true peace, because if you don't have peace with God, you really don't have peace at all. And it's only for a time that you can have peace, right? We can get peace from the things of this world, right? Uh, Success, money, power, palaces, right? Kingdoms, but only last for a time. And ultimately, if you're God's, he loves you so much to leave you in that false peace. And he's gonna shake things up here. He's gonna shake things up because he loves Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what he says, verse five and six. He says this, I had a dream that made me afraid. And as I was lying in bed, the images and the visions that passed through my mind, they terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. So he has this dream, he's lying in bed, everything's going good, and then... Boom, he gets, he gets hit with his dream. Shook him up a little bit, right? And uh, next thing here, we see that he commanded, he's shaken up, he's terrified, so what does he do? He commanded all the wise men of Babylon to come before him. Here we go, here we see fools going to other fools, someone lost in the dark going to someone else who's lost in the dark. For, and, and it's impossible in that case for there to be any spiritual light brought on anything. And I think that happens far too much in this world, right? You gotta go to the light so so that you can have peace, that you can have real truth. And so the second thing is, why would he go to him? Why would Nebuchadnezzar go to him? They already failed him. Chapter two, they already, remember, he gave them the dream, they failed. He raised Daniel up. Daniel was the head guy. Why didn't he just go straight to Daniel? I think ultimately, maybe he forgot, I don't know. We forget sometimes, but I think ultimately he didn't wanna hear the truth application. Sometimes we would rather hear a lie that makes us feel better, but it's the truth that will ultimately set our hearts free. And sometimes it's the truth is the last place someone will go until they've exhausted all other possibilities. Verse seven says this, the wise men or the wise men couldn't interpret the dream. The verse, verse seven says, when the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers and the diviners came, I told the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Other translation says they did not interpret. And I think that's a better translation because it's not that they could not, but they would not. They would not out of fear. They lack the courage to tell the truth. Listen, it's a pretty, you guys are going to get this. We're going to go through the dream. It's a pretty straightforward dream. I, I taught this maybe two years ago to the junior high, high school, and I just read it. And I was like, who's that talking about? And they're like, oh, that's talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. I was like, you guys would have made some big Babylonian bucks if you guys didn't live in this era, right? These guys couldn't have figured it out. They're getting paid the big bucks, but they didn't They didn't say anything. And I think it was for fear. It wasn't they the, that they lacked insight. They lacked the courage to speak the truth, maybe fear of their jobs, maybe fear of security, maybe fear of even their very lives. But we as Christian, we're called to speak the truth. We're, we're called to be bold and to be courageous and to stand on the truth. Let the chips fall wherever they may. Let the chips fall wherever they may. And uh, just trust God. But we're supposed to also do it with gentleness. We're supposed to do it with compassion, right? And Daniel's gonna give a great example. Daniel is a great evangelist, and we're gonna see that. Verses eight and nine, moving on. He says, finally, finally Daniel came to my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. That's interesting. I said, uh, Belchisazar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. About this finally, that was the the word finally here in this. This is a a commentator uh, whose last name is Trapp said this. This is the guise of graceless men that they run not to God until all other refuges fail them. The wisdom of God is the last place they go when everything else fails and everything else will fail ultimately. And I think even as somebody who's experienced, as people who've experienced God's grace, sometimes his wisdom is the last place we go. Sometimes his word is the last place we go. Sometimes prayer is the last place that we go, right? But God's so gracious to us, right? As Christians, that should be the first place we go. There's the, the very source of truth, right? God's word. Right, going to God's house and hearing truth, uh, praying to him, seeking his wisdom, seeking godly counsel from other people as Christians. That's where we should be going. And then this, the holy gods. In this passage, he says this three times. The holy gods is in this, this Daniel. Guy, right? Nebuchadnezzar knows something is different. And this word God's here is is it's interesting. It's the word Elohim. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter one, talking about the God who created the heavens and the and the and the earth. And so Nebuchadnezzar is saying, the holy God is in this guy. Holy God, Holy Spirit is in him. Right? And he so he looked different. And the word holy means to be separated, it means to be different. Right, and that that defined Daniel's life, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the way and the wisdom of the world came in and failed, and altogether separate, Daniel comes in. He looked different, talked different, acted differently. Right? God says to be holy as I'm holy. We're supposed to be set apart as God's family. Right, and we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. But may other people also see God's spirit inside of us and know that there's a difference in how we live, how we walk, how we act, how we speak. Verse 10 through 16, Nebuchadnezzar is going to reveal the dream. Here we go. Here's the dream. He says, these are the visions that I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the center of the earth and its height was enormous and the tree grew large and strong and its top touched touched the sky and it was visible to the ends of the earth and its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant and on it was food for all. And under all the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches and from it, every creature was fed. All right, he gets this dream. That's a good dream so far, nothing bad now, right? And so we're gonna see the bad parts coming up right here. Continues on, in the vision I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger. This is an angel coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter the fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and the roots bound with iron, bronze, iron and bronze remain in the ground and in the grass of the field. Let him, notice the pronouns here, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants uh, of the earth and let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times passes over him. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, it doesn't take a rocket surgeon, I say, to, to get this one right, to figure this out. It's not talking about a tree. We're talking here about a person. And this is consistent with other passages of scripture. Jeremiah refers to other world leaders as, as trees. Um, he, he refers to them as tree. Psalm chapter one, you guys, we, um, we see that blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord, right? Day and night he meditates and he will be like a tree, right? So he's talking about a tree here. I want us to notice something else, you guys. This tree was known in the dream for its great height. It was known for its strength, its, promise, its prominence, its prestige, beauty. It was known for provision, security. It was known for providing comforts and providing needs. These all describe Nebuchadnezzar, but I want us to know ultimately all of these things come from God. He is the ultimate giver of strength and might and power and beauty. He's given us all things. He's the provider of all security and he's the comforter of all of our needs. Nebuchadnezzar saw all of these as ultimately coming from himself. And that's where the problem lied. That's where the problem was. God needed to correct that. The dream shows that he was gonna do that, that he was gonna be stripped of everything that he held on to, that he prided himself as coming from himself rather than giving glory to God. And that's gonna be the theme of this testimony. Verse 17 and 18, we move on. The decision is announced by the messenger. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living, this is the purpose. This is the purpose that the dream is coming. So that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives to them anyone that he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. The point of the nightmare is that he would realize that he's not sovereign, but God is sovereign, that God is in control, that he rules and that he reigns. And I can't help but point this out too. It says, over all the kingdoms and gives them to anyone that he wishes and he sets them over the lowliest of men. And you can, how can you not think sets them over the kingdoms over of lowly men, not think of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, right? The most lowly. Right, who who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but he emptied himself right he humbled himself and came became a bondservant bond servant and even became a servant unto death like that's our king that's what our king does that's how much he loves us and he said this king king Jesus is going to be the one that rules and reigns right humble though he's lowly he says that about his own self right come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest for my heart is gentle right and my heart is lowly that's our king He's lowly. He's humble. He came in a manger, right? He rode a donkey. He ran around with a bunch of ragtag buddies, right? Not the, not the Hollywood uh, posse, right? He came as a lowly king, but he's also gonna come back and it's gonna be a little bit different. He's gonna be humble still and still be perfect in character, but he's coming back to rule and reign. And this is gonna be amazing Amen. here on earth. Amen. All right, so let's see. We finished up there. We finish up. The dream has been, been revealed. Now Daniel is going to, we're going to move on to part two. Daniel is going to explain the dream. So the dream explained in verses 19 through 27, moving along. Verse 19 says this, then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, "My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries!" Oh, this is an incredible thing right here, you guys. Um, we see Daniel's perplexed. We see Nebuchadnezzar sees the terror in Daniel's face, and he, Nebuchadnezzar, is like even tries to bring him comfort. He see how distraught Daniel is. And I think there's something for us to learn here, um, that Daniel had compassion, yeah. right? That Daniel really, really cared about. King Nebuchadnezzar, so much so that he saw the judgment that awaited Nebuchadnezzar and it terrified him. He says, I wish it wasn't so. I wish it was for someone else. I wish it was for your enemies. And I think that's important for us to talk about as we're witnessing to people, right? You never want to talk about the judgment of God. You never want to talk about hell. You never want to talk about those things nonchalantly or flippantly or jaded, right? People can tell if you really care about them. And if you care about them, and that is the reality of where they're heading. We should have compassion, tears in our eyes, even, right? But it doesn't mean we don't tell the truth either. And we're going to see that, um, and we're going to see that in a second. But I want us to know something else too. Out of all people in all the world, Daniel had every right, right, to to maybe be like, "Good, you got what you got coming, right, King Nebuchadnezzar. This is what's going to happen to you, and you deserve it." Uh, he didn't say that, right? He could have said, right, you know, Johnny Cash, you've been running for a long time, running for a long time, but sooner or later, God's gonna cut you down, and here's the time, and I'm glad. He doesn't say that, right? But he, he could have. Think about it. He, he was t- Nebuchadnezzar took him away from his home, he took him away from his culture, language, tons of Jews. Jewish people, the people of Judah were slaughtered under King Nebuchadnezzar. He just tossed three of his buddies was just, just tossed three of his buddies into the bonfire, right? Threatened to kill him early, earlier blaspheme the name of God, right? And still he says, no, he has respect for him. Look at, he says, Lord, majesty, your majesty. He respected him. He cared for him. He wanted to see him saved. He wanted to see him come to know the Lord. And I think that's something that's amazing. Daniel was an amazing evangelist. He was in it for the long haul. Verse 20 through 22, the truth is given. Let's see. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its tops touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, the beautiful leaves and the abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your Majesty, here it is the big truth, Mom. You are that tree. You have become great and strong and your greatness has grown until it reached the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. I want us to notice even with that compassion, he didn't shy away from speaking the truth. He didn't shy away from speaking the truth. Like Nathan, when he confronted King David about his sin with Bathsheba, telling him the story, he says, you are that man. 2 Samuel chapter 12, Proverbs 26, 28 says this, a lying tongue hates its victims and flattering words cause ruin. He could have flattered the king. He could have lied to the king. It would have been better for his own position probably, but he cared too much about him for that, right? He could have said, oh, king, oh man, look at what you got, you're blessed. Obviously you're blessed. You're the richest, most powerful. Look at this palace, like you're good. God's blessing you. Don't worry about it. Nah, no, he told him the truth. Proverbs 27, five and six says this, an open rebuke is better than hidden love and wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. We gotta speak the truth. We gotta speak the truth in love, church. Verse 23 through 27, Daniel tells the king, your majesty, he says this to him, your majesty, you saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down that tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. If you do this, highlight that part in your Bible. This is amazing. Bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with wild animals until seven times pass him by. And here it goes. He says, this is the interpretation, your majesty, of the dream your majesty, and this is the decree the most, God, the most high has issued against my Lord, the King. You'll be driven away from the people and you will live with wild animals and you will eat grass like the ox and you'll be drenched with the dew of the heaven. Seven times, seven years will pass by until when, until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives to them anyone that he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Oh, boldness right here. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Again, you guys, he's reiterating Nebuchadnezzar is an evil man. I haven't even gotten into just kind of what we saw in Daniel, but other parts of the Bible, he did some horrible things. Zedekiah was a king of Judah. He he made him watch the murder of his own sons and then, and then burned his eyes out. So that was the last vision that he had in his head, right? This guy was evil. This guy was wicked. God was bringing judgment on to this guy, but God's mercy and his grace, right? God still... That's what I'm saying. Twenty-three, verse twenty-three and twenty-six. He leaves the stump, right? He didn't completely uproot the tree, right? If he wanted to utterly destroy King Nebuchadnezzar, the vision would have been like, I'm going to pull up the roots like you're pulling weeds, right? You want to get the roots out so nothing grows back. He cut it down but left the stump, and that was a, that was a symbol, that was a sign of God's grace, right? Because he was going to not cut him out, cut him off to utterly destroy him, but he was going to cut him down so that he can. He would be grown back, saved and a different and a changed, humble man. And So that's pretty amazing. Until heaven rules, he was gonna get restoration only when he acknowledged that he didn't rule, but heaven ruled. Does anyone here today need restoration to God? Maybe it's time to acknowledge that heaven rules and not yourself. That heaven rules and not the temporal things of this earth. And that's our great problem. We like to rule the, ro- rule the roost, so to speak, right? We like to be the king of our own lives. Human nature likes to dismiss God because then we can reign as king of our own lives. We can reign as king of, of the world, of our own worlds, so to speak. But like Nebuchadnezzar, that is madness. You will be a madman until you acknowledge that the most high God is sovereign, that he rules, that he's king and that you're not. That he's in control and you're not in control. And that he's the only one that truly rules and reigns and not you. I think this is an important thing to understand. Until you realize that all of life came from him and all of our lives are for him as king, you're gonna be running through this life like constantly hitting your head against a brick wall. I've been there, (laughs) I've been there. Nothing is gonna make sense until you really that truth sets in that the Holy Spirit has to reveal I was made for God. I was made by God and I was made for God. And that's when things are gonna fall in place. And that's when things ultimately fall in place. We'll see in a little bit for Nebuchadnezzar. But again, that was his problem. He liked to sit on the throne, right, of his own heart. He was the king of his own world. um, And that was the problem. He didn't belong there though. That was not his place. That was not his seat. Have you guys ever been somewhere where you just feel like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be like you didn't belong. Like you were there, but there was like a sneaking suspicion over you that's like, I'm in the wrong place right now. And one, one time I walked into the girl's bathroom. <laughs> and that was like, I just walked in right when the door closed. I like knew something was wrong. I didn't know what it was, but there was just like a presence that was telling me like something is wrong, you are not in the right place. Maybe it was that it smelled a lot better or it was a lot brighter, <laughs> less messy or something. But I was like, I did not belong. And that's, that's how we should feel, right? When we're sitting on the key of our own lives, we should feel like we, you know, like I don't belong here, right? And there's an insecurity that's birthed from that place because you're living in a place that you don't belong. Someone else, that's someone else's seat. There's an insecurity that takes place. A famous philosopher, Mike Tyson, He's also an all-right boxer. He was an all-right boxer, but you guys remember Mike Tyson was crazy. He did some crazy things, said some crazy things, but he also said some true things. Um, but you guys remember he he was uh, in 1997, he got he was in the fight with Evander Holyfield and right? he was losing and he chomped his ear off, right? And uh, the Athletic Boxing Commission revoked his license to box and says that you know he said that you're not getting your license back until you do a psychological evaluation until we see that. Essentially you're stable enough to punch someone in the face for a living, right? <laughs> Which is kind of funny in and of itself. But but uh so yeah, so he had to go through this program. There was a documentary on it, it was pretty pretty amazing. But he goes through this program um, and afterwards he's he's leaving the program and he says he says this, he says, I learned two he says, I learned two very important things about myself. He says <laughs> he said that no, I learned two very important things about myself. Two important things about myself, and he said, one of them. He goes, I'm the most egotistical and narcissistic person on the face of this planet. And he said, the second thing I learned is I'm the most lonely and the most insecure man that I know. And that is true. Mike Tyson said some crazy stuff, but what he said there is absolutely true. And I think that it correlates to us, right? When you're in, you know, when you're living as the king of your own life, the ruler of your own life, there should be a sneaking suspicion that I don't belong and that should be birth insecurity, that should birth loneliness. And until you acknowledge that, until you bow the knee to God and recognize that, you're gonna be that, you're gonna stay that same way. You're gonna stay that same way. But that's the opportunity, that's that's why it's so amazing what Daniel says, he he, he calls him to repent, renounce your sins, repent. All repentance is, is imagine, right? Your heart, and there's a throne on your heart. You're sitting on that throne. All repentance is, is taking yourself off that throne and putting God, putting Jesus Christ as the rightful place to run and to rule your life. Because one, he can do far better than we could do in the first place. And two, he loves us, he's good, he's worthy of it. He's almighty, almighty God, right? And so he says, repent. Turn from your sins. Daniel preached repentance. He's, he, he preached the cold, hard truth. And I think that's something that's amazing about Daniel, right? He preached the truth. That's what all preachers should do. They should preach the truth, no matter the cost, no matter what, what might happen if they speak the truth. Family members, friends, he spoke the truth. Jobs, he spoke the truth because he ultimately knew how valuable, valuable it was for Nebuchadnezzar to get that truth. It didn't matter what, he, what, he, what it cost him, right? He says he will pro- prolong his, pro- he'll prolong his prosperity. It wasn't just, uh, also this repentance wasn't just a change of mind. It is, that is what repentance means, but it also is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And that's why he says, he says change, turn from your ways and start living in righteousness and start stop oppressing the people you've been oppressing, right? And so a true repentance is those things are gonna change. Um, which is pretty amazing, awesome. And he could have learned then. Nebuchadnezzar could have learned then. He could have bowed the knee then, right? At that warning, but he didn't. God would have relented. We would have been reading a less painful testimony right here. But that's not the case, right? We're gonna finish up here, this last part, the dream fulfilled, verse 28 through 37. Verse 28 says this, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And he said this, is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Wrong answer, right? Wrong answer. He's up there. He's got the warning. And 12 months later, God gave him 12 months. The grace of God, the patience of God, 12 months. He could have repented any time. Like God God knew he could have just struck them into an ox, a mad cow right then, right? But no, like 12 months, he gave him 12 months to turn, 12 months to repent before judgment had to eventually be brought down because God cared for him. And so I think the takeaway for us is, is if God's dealing with you, if there's things in your life that need to be humbled, 12 months is coming. Where are you at in that? Maybe it's God's grace that he's not already humbled you, but it's always easier and better to humble ourselves rather than to be humbled, right? And some of us have learned that um, the hard way, but nonetheless, it's a truth. And he, you see him here, he's on top of this royal palace. He's just having a meat party like, I am the man. Look at this, put up the palace one more time. Look at that. All of this is me. I did this with my power, and it's for my glory, right? The seven one of the ancient wonders of the world, the seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon, He built it for his wife, which fellas don't try to compete during Valentine's Day. This is pretty incredible. But all of the innovation, right? they They were able to transfer the Euphrates River to flow upstream. I don't really understand how they did it. I try to read it, but it went over my head. and And anyways, Uh, They were able to water all of these gardens, just beautiful, immaculate, right? All of these things, 87-foot thick walls, secure. And he's like, I'm the man. Look at this. I am the man. This is pretty amazing. He's saying all of these things. um, And I love the next part we'll get to in a second, but I wanted to point a couple of things. This is the problem. He failed to realize that it was God was the one who had given him everything. It was God that gave him power. It was God that allowed him to be in the place of honor. It was God that had given him the skill to administrate. It was God who had given him the wisdom. Paul says this uh, wonderfully in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, then why are you boasting as though you did? If it was given to you by God, why are you boasting? Why, why are you boasting that you had something to do with it? Even work ethic, right? We have a choice to work hard, but God's even has given us the capacity to do that, right? Colossians uh, chapter two, the wisdom, right? He had so much wisdom. Colossians chapter two says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's a gift from God. Colossians one tells us that Christ created everything, that he's the source of all things and he sustains all things and he holds everything together. Another heartbeat the glory of God. Another breath, the glory of God. Drinking a cup of cold water, to the glory of God. All the way to doing, you know, difficult things, doing our job, all to the glory of God. He holds all things. He gives us the power to do all things. He should have been praising God. The achievements, the innovation, the gardens, the palace, those are not the problem. The problem is who is receiving the glory. Ultimately, where is the finger pointing? Is the finger pointing glory to God? Or is it right here, right? Like most. Sports athletes, right? Bang their chest, The, the shape. that's right, that's right, me. No, it's God, it's God. He's the one that's given musical instruments, talents, wisdom, art, art, uh, artistic, uh, intellect. Yeah, we work for some of those things, but God, by God's grace, we work for those things, but he gives those things too. To him be the glory of all things. Nice, 31 through 33, we, we're getting close here. We're gonna do it, guys. 31 through 33 says this, even as the words were on his lips, right? He's having a, a neb party. Neb, 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 awesome, right? He says this, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. Before all of the me, myself, and I was even out, this is the, the decree for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people. You will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the oxen. Seven times will pass by before for you until you acknowledge that the most highest sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone that he wishes. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claw of a bird. Can you imagine that? I just imagine, I just pictured just a guy that was out, you know, so on some survival show that was in the wilderness for like a year or something, you know, this guy is like a madman, the feathers, the, you know, like the matted hair, the claws, this is like this disgrubbled discrivel, guy, right? And it's crazy to think about, like this was the king, the ruler of the whole then known world. And now he's like a beast. And it's pretty, pretty amazing, right? He went from, um, he went from eating right in the royal palace to grazing, eating grass with the animals, sleeping, <laughs> sleeping in the palace to taking naps with the cows. This is absolutely crazy. Um, absolutely crazy. The Bible says, um, here's the thing from sitting on the throne to sleeping with animals, right? I just said that he's truly a beast. He truly went insane. And here's the takeaway a self centered life is spiritual insanity. A self-centered life is spiritual insanity. The Bible says that he was given the mind of a beast, but I think ultimately what God was doing is he was just showing himself and the world his true colors. Right, everyone, everyone before them maybe looked at King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, that's the king, he's the mighty one, that, the one that built this, the, the great general that conquered so many armies. They saw that, but really on the inside, he, he simply had the mind of a beast because he failed to acknowledge that God is God and that he's not, right? The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of rationale is the fear of the Lord and Nebuchadnezzar definitely did not fear God and his mind was taken from him. He was truly a beast to live seven years outside like an animal. Let's see God's grace. Let's see what happens next, 34 and 35. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raise my eyes towards heaven. I love this. I love this, this first part because it, it beautifully um, balances the sovereignty of God with the, the free choice of man. It says at the end of that time, what time? a point time that God had set in place. And then we see the real choice. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raise my eyes. And when you raise your eyes, that's when your sanity will be restored to you, right? So we, I, I love that, but he says, I raise my eyes towards heaven. I want us to notice, us, uh, notice something, church, where his eyes were not, his eyes were not down. He was not disgruntled and in despair and welling, or wallowing in self-pity, right? Because there'd be no hope for him there. He didn't look around because there was no one in Babylon that could have helped the situation that he was in, right? None of the Babylonians could have helped him. He didn't look within, right? I got this, I can get myself out of this problem, right? Because that same pride is what got him there in the first place. He had nowhere else to look but to look up. And when he looked to heaven, let's see what happened. When he looked to heaven, he experienced restoration. If anyone needs restoration with God today, humble yourself. Raise your eyes towards heaven, set your eyes on Jesus, right? The one who loves us, who, who gave his life for us and not only um, saved our souls, but also saved our minds from being crazy, from being crazy. And that's what happens when God, God awakens your spirit too. He also changes your mind, right? By the renewing of his word, things make sense. So that's an amazing thing. I want us to look at the pattern. I raised my eyes, and then what? And then sanity was restored to me, and then what? And then I praised the most high God. This king who went out to pasture, essentially became an animal, raised his eyes towards God, and then he was restored, and then he became a worshiper of God. One who was worshiping, was an idol worshiper, worshiping all these false gods, worshiping himself, and nothing to do with the one true God. Now he became a worshiper of God and we're gonna see he's thankful. It says that he's thankful, he's grateful, right? I imagine him saying like, it would, getting the newness of a heart change. He's like, man, that grass, seven years I got grass. Thank you God for that grass, right? It kept me alive. He's just a thankful person now and that's what happens when God humbles you. Even even something like that, you're thankful for. And notice this, this is how he praises and this is how he worships and this is what, what uh, A couple of things he said I wanna point out. He says this, his dominion is an eternal dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. From generation to generation, he is king. The kids and kids ministry, the king of that generation is King Jesus. The king to the oldest generation in this church and in the world, the king of that generation is King Jesus. And the king of generations all in between from the past all the way to the future. God is king throughout all generations. God has reigned before the sun was birthed the first day, and he'll be reigning when days are no more. All other kingdoms will cease and the kingdom of God is eternal. So what are you living for? Are you living for the kingdom of God or are you living for a temporal, dark, vain kingdom that will last maybe 80 years if you're lucky, right? I took economics. It just seems to make sense. Like I'm gonna invest in a kingdom that's eternal, right? That's gonna make, that makes a lot more sense. It says this, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. I read this and I was like, something didn't sit well. Maybe it was my own pride within me, but this and this is, the, this is it explained. Um, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing compared to God's glory and his power and his might. The peoples of the earth are Nothing right you take somebody who is a peasant to a prince right someone who's sitting under a bridge to to him who sits in the white house right you take a, a small group of people to a vast majority of people people who who eat at mickey d's right all the way to someone who who dines at the french laundry right they all all of those people compared to god and his glory and his majesty and his power they're nothing And what's amazing about this truth, even though it may stink, this is what's amazing about this truth. This infinite almighty God values us. He values his people. He says, "This are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Matthew 10, 29 and 31. That almighty God who has existed throughout times, who needs nothing, who's all powerful, all knowing. He simply is. We need all of those things. He cares for us. He values us. He gives us value. God leaves the 99 to go after the one, one sinner who repents, that one is valuable to him. The pearl of great price, Matthew chapter 13, parable about a merchant, right? Who goes and he finds this this valuable, valuable pearl. He sells everything sells everything, goes bankrupt to get this pro because it's so valuable to him. That's the people of God, that's us, that's me, that's you. We're valuable and important to this almighty God because he's given us value. That's the only value that, that we need. That's where our identity should stem from. I love the C.H. Spurgeon said this uh, about this whole idea. He says, "Herein is his greatness that all, or that it comprehends all littleness without a strain. The glory of his wisdom is as astonishing as the majesty of his power. And the splendors of his love and of of his grace are as amazing as the terror of his sovereignty. He may do what he wills for none can say to him, like, what are you doing? But never wills to do any case that is unjust, unholy, unmerciful or in any way inconsistent with his perfection of his matchless character. And he says here about that idea. Here, let us pause and worship. I at least must do so for my soul's eyes ache as though I had been gazing at the sun. He's saying to take in and comprehend the truth that God is that magnificent, yet he cares about us. That's a glorious, glorious thing. That's an absolute amazing thing. And here's the thing that we ought to understand. God's sovereignty outside of a a perfect character is a scary, scary thing. Ruling and reigning, complete control, complete power can speak a universe into existence. That outside of a good God is scary, right? But we have to understand God's sovereignty, everything that happens in this world is filtered through his sovereign hand and is filtered through his good character. So church, even when, and I know they have, I've been there, the trials of life come, the storms come. Where did this come from? We we see ourselves here asking this question. Like, what have you done? We're tempted to to ask God, what have you done? What are you doing? Right, I've been there. Things are hard, life is hard. We live in a sinful world. God, what are you doing? And this is something that has always helped me, this quote, or especially recently has helped me, says that God is too good to be unkind and he's too wise to be mistaken. So when I can't trace his hand, I must trust his heart is when I don't understand things, I don't have to know the what or the why necessarily, but I need to know the who, and if he's good, and if he loves me, and if he cares for me, and if he sent his son to die on a cross, he loves me that much, a cross that I deserved, and would give me his righteousness, I need to trust him. I don't have the full picture, I don't have to understand everything, but I know him and I know that he does only what's good. And we have to remind ourselves about that. Even when the storms, even when crazy things happen in our life, So he says that, this praise, all these truths are coming out of this once crazy man's mouth. It says this, finishing up, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. God's good. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything that he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. A couple things I'm just in concluding, and I want us to grab this a couple takeaways. God is sovereign, he rules everywhere, he rules all the time, and he's gonna rule forever. Let us grasp that, but also grasp that and take that. Um, in stride with his character, that he's good, he's gracious, he's merciful, and he loves us. To a self-centered life is spiritual insanity. Let us humble ourselves and experience true peace of mind, knowing that he is sovereign. Next, God cut Nebuchadnezzar down, not to utterly destroy him, but to raise him up again. If there is a chastisement in your guys' life, no, it's because God loves you. He doesn't wanna destroy you. He wants to build you and mold you and make you more and more into the image of Christ, which is the purpose of our life here. Three, from Brother Neb's testimony, I'll call him Brother Neb. I think we'll see him in heaven. There is no one too far off, prodigal parents, family members that don't know the Lord, that it's like, there's no way God's getting a hold of this person. I think Nebuchadnezzar, I think he was voted most likely to never bow the knee to God. And we see him here. We see this testimony bowing to God and praising him. If God can get a hold of Nebuchadnezzar, he can get a hold of anybody Amen. that we know. And that's encouraging. And last, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, maybe you're sitting, you know, you find yourself in the analogy, sitting on the throne of your own life. Maybe God's dealing with you today. And keeping with this tree analogy, let's have um, the wind represent God, which is consistent with, with imagery throughout the Bible. Imagine this you are as a tree you as a tree will either acknowledge and bend and bow to the great power of the wind or you'll be broken by that wind and resisting and fighting. God will not share his glory with another. He loves you too much for that. Stop fighting and bow the knee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you humbled. I don't know how you can't read that and not be humbled, but we also come before you with grateful hearts, knowing that you're patient, know that you pursue us, know that there's no one too far outside of your saving hand, God. Lord, convict where it needs to be convicted. Bring encouragement where encouragement needs to be brought, God, by your spirit. May we all leave here changed today, God, by the power of the word of God, transforming our hearts, God. May we go out with the peace of God because we know the God of peace. May we go out with joy, God, as we're filled with your spirit. And may we go out proclaiming the goodness that you are God and no one else is and that you are good and no one else is. And there's a savior, Jesus Christ who came, who was good, who came, laid down his life for anyone who would repent, anyone who would repent and simply have faith. You would save them for all eternity, wipe away their sins, God. So you make that reality known. May we be people that speak the truth. May we be evangelists like Daniel. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.00. 9 30 and 11:30 30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.